Keep your finger right there at Matthew chapter 24 and turn over to Romans chapter 10. In the Old Testament, Jesus or God had told the children of Israel that He would bless them as long as they followed Him. But He told them in Deuteronomy chapter 6 to beware if they forgot what He had done for them. God had never planned for the children of Israel to be the way in order to be saved. He was, they, they had a purpose, and then He said when they turned away and they rebelled against Him, that they would be destroyed. And what we need to remember is that as Christians, that we live under a new, new covenant. That when Jesus died on the cross, that old law was done away with. And listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 10. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal for God, or of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. People today have a hard time understanding that the children of Israel rebelled against God and they rejected Jesus Christ as the Savior, as the Messiah. And because of that, we see that God wiped out the, the city of Jerusalem to destroy the economy and the way of life that the children of Israel had at that particular time. It's amazing today to hear people talk about what is going to happen with the city or the state of Israel. And I will firmly say that Israel does not matter according to the ends of time. And at the end of time, there is no sign that shows us that we need to be watching out for it. And I believe that Matthew, the 24th chapter, is one of the misunderstood, most misinterpreted Scriptures that we find where people want to say that Israel matters and that we are living in the times of the end. And I think that we'll look at these, at these Scriptures as we approach these Scriptures. We're going to examine them to see what they are actually teaching about the destruction of Jerusalem and the end of the world. And so we need to understand that there is a difference between the two. I know I go to the vet, take the dog to the vet, and one of the vets there likes to talk about there's going to be wars and rumors of wars and it's the end of times. Well, those verses are talking about something else. And it saddens me when as Christians that sometimes we fall for some of the things that are taught out there in the religious world that is untrue, that is not true. I've had people that will tell me that the city of Jerusalem, that the temple is going to be rebuilt, that the animal sacrifices are going to be reestablished, and that they already have the Sanhedrin in place. Well, you can look some of those things up, and yeah, some of those things are true. But does that mean that that's what the Bible teaches? The Bible tells us that no one knows the day nor the hour. That there is no sign. And so let's see what the Bible teaches concerning this matter in Matthew chapter 24. In verses chapter 23, we see what Jesus said about Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem was the, 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 the headquarters or the, the, the capital, the place where uh, God dwelt at one point. Now, listen to what it says there in verse 37 of chapter 23. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, 
Thou that killest the prophets and stoned them that were sent unto thee, how oft would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. What's he saying there? He's talking about how Israel had rejected the prophets. They had rejected the Word of God. They had rejected God Himself when He sent His Son to die on the cross. They rejected all of those things. And verse 38, Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. And I say unto you, Ye shall not see Me henceforth, till ye shall say, Blessed is He that cometh in the name of the Lord. And then he goes on, and remember that the chapters weren't divided by the Lord. This is just continually reading. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and His disciples came to Him for to show Him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be one left here, one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now maybe perhaps these apostles that were with Jesus were saying, look at this temple. It's big. It's vast. How can it be destroyed? And Jesus is telling them, guess what? It's going to be destroyed. There's not going to be a stone left on top of the other. It's going to be destroyed. And so later they come to Him and they ask Him a question. They ask Him two questions. And those two questions are, When will these things be? And the second question is, what shall the sign of thy coming and the end of the world? Matthew chapter 24 and verse 3. Jesus is on the Mount of Olives. And He answers those questions. When they ask those questions, and they ask. And Jesus answers the first question concerning the fall of Jerusalem. And He tells us there that there's going to be signs that are going to take place. In Matthew chapter 24, and verses 4 and 5, Jesus answered and said, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in My name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Jesus is warning them that there's going to be others that come along and say, "I'm I'm, I'm the Christ, I'm the Messiah, but don't believe them. And some people obviously would be deceived into believing them. But Jesus had proven who He was, He had proven by the miracles, proven even by His teachings and the fulfillment of prophecy that He was the Messiah and the only Messiah and the only one that was going to come. And if they did not accept Him, they were going to be lost. And that's what Paul's addressing over there in Romans. He wants them to be saved, but they had rejected Christ. He goes on, there would be disasters. Verses 6 and 8 through 8, it says, And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye ye be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilence and earthquakes and divers places. All these are the beginning of sorrow. They would be wars and rumors of wars. What's he talking about? Well, we see wars and rumors of wars. All my life that I've been here on this planet, I've heard of wars and rumors of wars. I've seen pestilence. I've seen earthquakes. In fact, as I mentioned in Bible class, I'd read about earthquakes, that there's like 500,000 earthquakes every year throughout this world. The majority of those earthquakes, no one feels. 
They're not detectable to humans. It's some kind of instrument that detects the movement of the earth. That it's a very small percentage of earthquakes that people can feel. And we must admit that there are some earthquakes that are very devastating. We talk about pestilence. We talk about things, disasters that can happen in the world. And we see famines and we see earthquakes and we see pestilence. We see uh, uh, bugs that come along and eat crops and do all kinds of destruction. We see pandemics that come along. We see all of these things. But is Jesus saying that this is what we're to look for concerning the end of the world? Remember that first question that was asked. Tell us when these things shall be. What had He just told them? That the temple was going to be destroyed. When's that going to happen? Verses 9 and 10 tells us that there would be persecution. Then shall they deliver you up and be afflicted, and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for My name's sake. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. Sometimes when people are persecuted, they turn away from God. And that happens. Even today that happens. But is that a sign for us? No, that was a sign for them that the city of Jerusalem was going to be destroyed. To watch out when these things start happening. Verse 11, it says, "...and false prophets and many false prophets shall arise and shall deceive many." Is that happening today? Well, yeah, it's happening today, but this is applied to the destruction of Jerusalem. Their love that was dying away, verse, uh, verse 12, and because iniquity shall abound and love, the love of many shall wax cold. And then verse 14, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. If you read over in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 23, it tells us there that the gospel was preached to everyone under the heavens. So that was fulfilled. And then in verse 15, which is where people sometimes get a little messed up. It talks about, and when ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. What is this abomination of desolation that Daniel talked about? Well, first of all, Daniel spoke about it. And that tells us, as Jesus said, He spoke of it. it didn't, he didn't say Daniel said. He said He spoke of it. And that's what He's saying is that it came from God. This message that Daniel had came from God. And here's a clue to understanding that the implication of that prophecy. The end spoken of by Daniel was not to take place for a long, long time after the abomination of desolation. That was, that was set up in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 11. And this proves that, that Jesus' words applied to that far off and final end of the world no less than the end of the Jewish economy which was accompanied by the shattering of the power of the holy people and the making of an end of the daily sacrifices that we read about in Daniel chapter 12, verses 7-11. through 11. You see, those sacrifices were going to end. 
It was going to come to an end. They weren't going to continue to take place. And as I said this morning in Bible class, though people may go back and start offering animal sacrifices and they rebuild a temple and all of these things that they may do thinking that they're going to help the return of the Lord, guess what? That's not going to make a difference. They still have to surrender to Christ. They still have to be obedient to the Gospel. But the abomination of desolation is usually held to mean the encirclement of the holy city by the Roman army prior to this destruction. Look over in Luke chapter 21. Because there I think that we find a clue as to what he's talking about, what Daniel's talking about, and what Jesus is talking about with this abomination of desolation. In Luke chapter 21, beginning in verse 20, it says, And when ye shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. Then let them which is in Judea flee to the mountains, and let them which are in the midst of it depart out. And let not them that are in the countries enter therein too. For these are the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. For there shall be great distress in the land, and wrath upon this people. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword, and shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down by the Gentiles, until the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled. You ask, how would they escape the city? When the city is compassed about by the armies of Rome, how are they going to get out of the city? Well, I think that's kind of amazing if what I read is true. Because it might appear to be impossible in reading this, that this desolation is, is when you see the armies gathering around Jerusalem. The armies of Titus, commanded by uh, Cessius Gallus, for some strange reason lifted the siege, providing the Christians a chance to escape. Jesus is, if you remember in this, in this discourse that we see here in Matthew 24, He's talking to just a few of His apostles. Those that were Christians were going to heed these warning signs and they were going to be able to escape the city. The Christians, those that were uh, the children of God. And book 2 of his wars, section 24, Josephus says this, For Cessius removed his army, and having received no loss, very unadvisedly departed from the city. And that's found in Josephus' wars, book number 7, section 9. And the reference to taking the things out of one's house was to emphasize the need for necessity. That when you see this happen, don't stop. Don't go back and get your stuff. Get out of town. Get out of Jerusalem. God's providing a way of escape. It's a historical fact that the Christians did, in fact, take flight to safety during that break, which allowed them to withdraw from that city. In verse 8, or verse 21, we see that there's going to be great tribulation. And for then shall great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world, 
to this time no, nor ever shall be. The city's compassed about. There's a break. They're allowed to escape. The armies come back and then it's destroyed. And it's going to be a destruction like they had never seen before. In fact, Josephus says that there was 11,000, let's see, 1,100,000. That would be 1.1 million Jews that were killed on that occasion. And then Jesus gives a vivid description of the fall of Jerusalem. In Matthew chapter 24 and verse 30, he says, And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And He shall send His angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together His elect from the four winds, from one end of the heaven to the other. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When its branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, ye know that summer is nigh. So likewise ye, when ye shall see all of these things, know that it is near, even at the door. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all of these things be fulfilled. Here we see the Lord's coming to judge Jerusalem. I will admit that those words sound a lot like the second coming of Christ. But consider two reasons why they may not be referring to Jesus coming to in the last days. For one, what did he say? He said those events would occur immediately after the tribulation of those days. And in Luke, he says, and in those days after that tribulation. What is that tribulation? The abomination of desolation? That's when the army starts surrounding and cut off the city. In Matthew chapter 24 and verse 29, it says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light, nor the stars shall fall from the heavens, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. In Mark chapter 13 and verse 24, And in those days after the tribulation, the sun shall not darken and the moon shall not give her light. They are connected in a time to the tribulation described in Matthew chapter 24, verses 15 through 29 or 28. He's saying that these things are going to happen, and that's hard for us to, to, to comprehend what he's trying to say. They're connected with the tribulation, and this coming of Jesus was to, to occur at the conclusion of the siege of Jerusalem. Now, why would we say that this, these words describe the, the, the destruction of Jerusalem? Well, because there's other passages of Scripture that use kind of similar terminology. The events are similar to those that are foretold of God's judgment in other places against other nations. We can see in Babylon in Isaiah chapter 13 and verse 1. It says, And the burden of Babylon, which Isaiah the son of Amos did see. And then in verses 6 through 13, listen to the words that he says describing the fall of Babylon. Howl ye, for the day of the Lord is at hand. 
it shall come as a destruction from the Almighty. Therefore shall all hands be faint, and every man's heart shall melt, and they shall be afraid. Pangs and sorrow shall be or shall take hold of them, and they shall be in pain as a woman that travaileth. They shall be amazed one at another. Their faces shall be as flames. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, cruel both with warm and fleece or fierce anger, to lay the land desolate. And he shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. For the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light. The sun shall be darkened in their in his going forth, and the moon shall not cause her light to shine. And I will punish the world for their evil, and the wicked for their iniquity. And I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease, and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. And I will make a man more precious than fine gold, even a man with a golden wedge of Ophir. Therefore, I will shake the heavens and the earth, shall remove out of her place in the wrath of the Lord of hosts in the days of His fierce anger. Words to describe the destruction of Babylon are similar to the words that are used to describe the destruction of Jerusalem. We see the exact same kind of terminology. The moon not giving its light, the the constellation or the stars not shining. Those are words to show the anger and the judgment of God. And we see similar things about Egypt in Isaiah chapter 19 verses 1 and 2 and Ezekiel chapter 32 verses 2, 7 through 9. And then Tyra, which is in Isaiah chapter 23 and verse 1 and 24 and verse 21 and 23. Edom in Isaiah chapter 34 verses 4 through 6. And we could go on and on. You can see the list that I have on the screen. For such reasons, I suggest that even Matthew chapter 24, verses 29 through 31, Jesus is using that terminology to reference the destruction of Jerusalem. Like other Jewish prophets, Jesus uses figurative language to, de- to, de- to depict this destruction. The judgment of the- that was to befall the wicked is used in terms of worldwide destruction. The provisions made for the righteous in terms of gathering by the angels. God allowed this to happen. God caused certain things to happen. And the Jewish prophets foretold of God's judgment upon such nations, different nations, using figurative or figures of worldwide destruction, even though the destruction was local. Perhaps or maybe because such judgment foreshadowed God's final judgment that was to come upon the entire world, He used those types of pictures, words to describe what was going to happen. Now why else? Is there any other reason why we should not believe that these words are concerning the destruction of Jerusalem and not for the end of the world. Matthew chapter 24, verse 33 and 34. For likewise ye, that would be you, when you shall see all of these things, know that it is near even 
at the door. Verse 34, Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all of these things be fulfilled. Now what does that mean? Well, you see, when people want to make this apply to the end of the world, they have to change the definitions of certain words. And there were generation, this generation shall not pass. They want to change that generation to race. Well, when you look at the word used in Matthew, and it's used about 13 times in the book of Matthew, and it always referenced a time period of people right then and there. That generation. And there is no reason to think that it means something different here in this verse than in any of those other places that that word generation is used. That's usually my answer to people when they start talking like this. That Jesus said that it was going to happen in that generation. You look for it. You watch for it. Who's He talking to? His apostles. You watch for this. Well, they're not around today to watch for it. That generation has passed and it took place during that time period. So Jesus goes on to answer the last question. What shall be the sign of the end of the world? When will He come again? In Matthew chapter 24, verses 36 through chapter 25 of verse 46. In Matthew chapter 24 and verse 36, it says, But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Now, He's just given all the signs for the fall of Jerusalem, and they've already asked about the end of the world, and so that's what He's answering. Of that day, no one knows the day nor the hour when it's going to happen. And Mark goes even further when he says in verse uh, chapter 13, verse 32, "...but of that day and that hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father." Jesus Himself doesn't know when that time's going to come. So how could He even give us signs about what to look for? Because there is no signs of what to look for. And His point is, be ready. If I come today, be ready. If I come tomorrow, be ready. If I come next year, be ready. If I come ten years from now, be ready. Whatever it is, be ready. That's the whole point. That Jesus wants us to understand. There will be no signs at the end of the world. <clears throat> he says that it will be as in the days of Noah. Matthew chapter 24, verses 37 through 39. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Jesus or Noah was preparing that ark 120 years, the Bible says.
And when the rain started coming, the people were surprised. And Jesus says that's what that last day is going to be like. People aren't going to be ready. It's going to be just like those days. Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, and notice Peter was there on that occasion when Jesus answered those questions. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, into which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the earth shall melt with a fervent heat, and the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Peter says he's coming as a thief in the night. Jesus said if you'd have known what hour the, the thief was coming, you'd have been ready, you'd have been prepared. Are we prepared if the Lord came today? Peter goes on to say, in view of that, what manner of persons ought you to be? Listen to what he says in verse 10. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Jesus goes on and tells us in Matthew chapter 24, beginning in verse 40, Then shall two be in a field, the one shall be taken, the other left. Two, two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken, the other left. Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour our Lord doth come. But know this, that if the goodman of the house had known of what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not the Son of Man cometh, who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find him doing. Verily I say unto you, that he shall make him ruler over all goods. What's Jesus saying here? Jesus is simply saying that there's going to be some that are ready and some that are not. When the angels gather those that are prepared to gather, some are going to be taken, some are going to be left. That doesn't mean they're going to be left here on this earth to burn because they're going to appear at the judgment scene too. The Bible tells us that when the Lord returns, those that are still alive that are Christians are going to be caught up in the air to meet Him. Now people want to say, well, that means He's coming back. There's going to be a rapture. No, that's not what He's telling us. Read the context. Read the whole story. And leave all that other garbage out of your head. Just read what the Scripture's telling you. He's talking about those in, 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 to the Thessalonian brethren. He's talking about those who were afraid they'd miss Jesus' return because some had already died. And Jesus or Paul's pointing out just because they died, they're not missing anything. There's going to be a resurrection and they're going to come forth. And so because it says first, oh, everybody else is going to be left behind. No. Jesus said that when He returns, there's going to be a judgment. And we're all going to stand before the judge on that day. And it's going to be the Lord. Verse 48, But and if the evil servant shall say in his heart, My Lord delayeth His coming, and shall begin to smite His fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunken, 
The Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him, and in an hour that he is not aware of, and shall cut him asunder and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What's Jesus saying? He's saying that we need to live our life every day to be ready for that occasion when He does return. And because it seems like it's been delayed, do we ever take for granted what God has given to us as Christians? To where we're tempted to sin or we give in to sin or we, well, you know, I've heard people say this, I'll sin and then ask God's forgiveness and it'll be okay. Sometimes that's the attitude we have. Because the Lord hadn't come today, didn't come yesterday, didn't come the day before. And so we kind of get clumsy in our living the Christian life. Jesus is saying, be ready. And he's talking about the end of time. Because look, it goes on in Matthew chapter 25. Then he talks about the ten virgins, five that were wise, five that were foolish. The wise had had their lamps trimmed and had oil with them, and the foolish had their lamps, but they didn't have any oil. And when the bridegroom came, the wise ones were able to, to go in, the foolish ones were rejected. Why? Because they were unprepared. Question is, would we be unprepared? Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30, he gives a parable of the talents. One had received five talents, another two talents, and one had received one. The five and the two talent people, they increased their talents. They grew. They used what they were supposed to do. And when the Lord returned, they were ready. But the one that received the one talent had buried it in the earth. He hid it. He didn't use it. Because he feared the Lord. He was afraid. And the Bible says that Jesus said, Depart from me. And he cast him into outer darkness. And then in Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46, Jesus tells us what's going to happen. You see, the destruction of Jerusalem took place a long time ago. The end of the world's taking place. Be ready. Because when that takes place, there's going to be a judgment. And He gives us a picture there of the judgment. Those that were on the right and those that were on the left. Those that were on the right were saved. Those that were on the left were unsaved. The question is, which side are you on? And so Jesus gives us warnings. He wants us to realize that we're going to be somewhere for eternity. Matthew chapter 24, verse 42, listen to what he says, Watch therefore, for you know not what hour our your Lord doth come. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 44, Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not the Son of Man cometh. Matthew chapter 25, and verse 13, Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. All of those warning signs that were there in the book of, in Matthew chapter 24 concerning wars and rumors of wars and pestilence and false teachers and all of those things were a sign of the fall of Jerusalem. 
not the end of the world. There was a time and a place for the children of Israel to offer sacrifices. Just like there was a time and a place for Noah to build an ark. I could start in my backyard building me an ark. And I could build it to the specifications that God gave to Noah. But when the Lord returned, is that going to save my soul? No. There was a time when the children of Israel had to keep the Passover and all the feast days and offer the sacrifices and do all of those things. But when that law was, was terminated at the cross, they no longer needed to do those things. And even if people go back and I build me an altar in my backyard, or even if I go to Jerusalem and offer a sacrifice, is that going to save my soul? No. What matters is that Jesus came to this world, gave us an example, died on a cross, shed His blood for my sins, your sins, and all of Israel's sins, but we have to accept Him. We have to be obedient to His will. And really the message of the Bible for us today is, are you ready? Or are you looking for something else? There's nowhere in this Bible that I can find that tells me that Jesus is going to set His foot on this earth. It tells me He's coming in the clouds just like He left. But I find nowhere where He's going to set up a kingdom here on this earth. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the one that we need to obey. And it's His words that we need to heed and not get caught up in all this hoopla that's out there concerning the second coming, which is false teaching. He's coming back. But there's no sign that tells us when that's going to happen. But His message to you and to me is be ready. The question is, are you ready? If you need to respond to the invitation this morning, you can do so while we stand and sing.